King Henry has returned. Aaron Rodgers now owns the Chicago Bears. And the Dallas Cowboys have won the biggest rivalry game of the season. Welcome to Saturday Morning Inspection. Nick, I'm glad you could join us all the way from sunny Miami. You look very relaxed. How's the honeymoon going? Hey, man, it's going great. You know, LeBron a few years ago said he was taking his talents to South Beach. Well, I can see why. The weather's beautiful. The people are beautiful. The food is awesome. This is just just an awesome place to be. We're having a great time. As Andy Reid did when he ate the KC barbecue, you seem to have really absorbed the culture down there. I I love the getup you have. Well, I figured you got to look the part, right? You know, you, you know, you got to show up, you know, at work, you got to dress a certain way. If you're playing football, you got to have the uniform a certain way. I tell you, when you're down in Miami having a good time, you got to dress a certain way too. Well, I hope uh, we can't, we don't hold you too long today. I know you have a lot of activities planned, but that brings up a great point. You say, when in Rome, so to speak, how about the Jaguars? When in Rome, you know, you go to a different, new, new country, New me. Let's win our first game of the season. The Jags are now undefeated in London. How about that? I, I tell you, I'm really impressed, right? You know, here we go. I'm in I'm in Florida, right? I'm with in uh, you know, Miami, big Cuban. You got Mr. Worldwide, you know, Pitbull. Evidently, Urban Myers, Mr. Worldwide, Mr. International. Can't win a game in the US. He goes to uh goes to London, gets his first win as an NFL coach. Trevor Lawrence, first win as a starter in the NFL. Just a absolutely wild uh wild ordeal how that all turned out and hey great job on their part getting win number one of the year you want to know what really concerns me though what's that urban after a thursday night game long weekend loss goes out gets a little wild now the jags going into a bye week after a big win i hope that he just makes it back to the facility next week somehow you never know what's going to happen with them. Well, I'm hoping they probably took his passport, so forced him back on the airline and back on the jet to get back uh, to Jacksonville. And, I uh, did read reports he did fly back with the team, so that is good news. I, I tell you what, it's good on Urban Meyer for finally maturing. I think he's only 60 now, so you know he had a lot of time. You know, we all have, we all when you're when we're young, we go through growing pains, and it's the struggle to mature and grow up. And I'm proud to see Urban Meyer is finally getting there. At you know the ripe young age of 60 being mature enough to return back with his team. Absolutely. Good leadership skills. Maybe we'll touch on that later in the show. You never know. Uh, But breaking news, Nick, and I know I haven't told you about this yet. Trouble in chief's kingdom. Uh, You might say, huh, that perks my ears up. They won this past week in good fashion over the Washington football team. You're wrong. Not everything's hunky dory. There's two stories I have heard. One we all know about, and I'll touch on next, but the first is big news. This just in, Chiefs superfan X-Factor was brutally attacked by his once protege, other Chiefs superfan, Red Extreme, at the Chiefs game this past weekend. Red Extreme accused X-Factor of throwing a water bottle at him during the game which in turn he then ran up the stairs and punched X-Factor in the face, 
knocking him unconscious. X-Vector has then left the stadium. Turns out he had, you know, minor head injuries and some broken ribs. So, heck of a fall, heck of a punch. Uh, after the game, comment was given out to Red Extreme to respond to this interview by the news outlet in KC who reported on this story. Uh, Red Extreme accused X-Factor of being a, quote, meth addict and alcoholic. When they spoke to X-Factor in the interview, he vehemently disputed these facts by saying, I am not a meth addict, I am a cocaine addict and alcoholic. I hope people can, you know, discern the distinction between the two. I'm glad we've gotten that part cleared up. And I also hope that these two Chiefs superfans can clear things up and once again the Chiefs can get rolling because I think they need these guys to succeed. Well, you know, we talk about all the time, guys, how important it is to have unity in the locker room. I, you know, now we get to touch on unity in the fan base too. And I, I, what'd you say the the name of Red Extreme? Was? Red Extreme and X Factor. I, I hope Mister Extreme and Mister Factor here uh, uh, figure out their differences and and get this uh, fan base going again. Uh, Chiefs definitely need them. You know, got the big win against Washington over the weekend and improved to three and three. But uh, I. I just don't understand. So how do you get to be the title of super fan? Like, is, is there know. like a, the, a mentorship program? Like you said, one of them was his protege. Is it like a apprenticeship, like an internship? You got to go, you know, for six months and, you know, hold the super fan, the real super fans gear and get him water and all that stuff. And then you get to become a super fan. Like, how does that work? That would be a good, you know, the super fan mentorship program. It sounds like something the NFL would do. Uh, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how you get to be a super fan. Maybe they're self-proclaimed super fans. Every team's got a couple. Like uh I remember the Jets had Fireman Ed or whatever his name was. Uh, everyone's got a couple. The Raiders got a, the black hole, like a lot of super fans over there. So I'm not sure. Uh another chief story that broke as well is a lot of hate is being shot out at the Mahomes family. When Patrick Mahomes' brother, Jackson, shot a TikTok dance video on the Sean Taylor Memorial at the Washington football game. Uh, that's a tough look. You got to read the room. You can't dance on someone's memorial. Even if he allegedly was told to stand there, you don't think you could hold back off TikTok for a week? You know, like, uh. Maybe I should wait till I get out of the stadium or something like that. And this is not the first time uh, Jackson Mahomes' uh, behavior has been called into question. He dumped a bottle of water on a Ravens fan at the home game uh, when they beat the Chiefs. Uh, that's all of these things. And this is all of these things brought in together. It makes me wonder, are all of these commercials of, you know, sneaker fan Patrick Mahomes, are all of these distractions at home with his friends and family, are these affecting Mahomes' performance? Is this the reason that he's maybe not had quite the open to the season that they have wanted? Well, I don't know about that, but I just wonder what the heck Patrick Mahomes has to tell his little brother. I guess it's his little brother, right? Yes. I mean, what are you doing taking TikToks? I guess I'm not a TikTok guy by any means, but I think it's like a five second video, right? It's just really short. It's like Snapchat, kind something of like that. Yeah. Something quick and quick and easy. 
what are you doing while your brother's about to playing about to play an NFL game, taking, you know, TikToks on the sideline, doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Like, I don't understand. Like you're at an NFL game. I'm sure he's up in the VIP press box with unlimited amount of food, drink, you know, surrounded by all kinds of money and rich and famous popular people. It, it, it's like going to, you know, the biggest Hollywood party of the year. It's like going to like the Playboy Mansion party or something like that. And just, hanging out, you know, eating cheese. It's in the background. It's like, what are you doing? You're at like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. But you're taking absorb the moment. Be proud of your brother for being out there. Like cheer for him. Maybe. I don't know. Don't be a distraction. You've clearly been a distraction multiple games this season already. Like read the room. You're, you're not doing anything successful, you know, trying to be a TikTok star, like try to go like help your brother. I don't know. Be a, don't hurt him. All you've done is hurt him all season. Or, you know, get better at football if you're Jackson Mahomes or or whatever he does. I don't know if he plays football or, or not. I'm sure it's an athletic family. His dad played baseball, professional baseball. You know, and I'm when sure I he's say younger brother, he's not that young. I think he's out of high school at least. So it's not like this is like a 10-year-old we're talking about. Well, he's acting like a little bit, right? Taking videos of himself. Yeah. So, uh, more it's importantly, though, uh, yeah, these kids, who knows? Uh, the most important story of the weekend the Dallas Cowboys have won the most important game of the entire season in a clutch overtime performance. Uh, I apologize to the Cody family. I know that uh, you probably don't want to hear this story. Uh, at the wedding this weekend, it was you. I was going to tell you. I forgot to say congratulations on truly now being a house divided. Uh, you know, uh, Nick's beautiful now wife Alyssa is a diehard Patriots fan as well as her family, and as we know, Nick is a Cowboys fan. But uh, they played this weekend, and it happened to be on the wedding day. So, uh, very tense there for a while, but the Cowboys pulled it out. How do you feel? I, I feel great, right? I think, so a little background, I went up to Foxborough a couple of years ago when Alyssa and I were still dating, and, and her father and her grandfather and her brother took me out to a Patriots-Cowboys game, uh, and it was just absolutely miserable. It was freezing rain, it was windy, it was, it was terrible, and I just about died with how miserably wet and cold and frozen I was. But New England ended up beating Dallas that day, 13 to nine. So I'm freezing cold in the rain. And so we have to, you know, wait in traffic for two hours to get back to their house. And it's just Patriots talk radio talking about how much Dallas stinks and how good New England is. And the next morning when he drives me and Alyssa to the airport to fly back home, you know, it's nothing but two hours more of Patriots talk radio, Brady this, Bell check this, Prescott stinks, Dallas stinks. And I, just, and I had no choice but to take it. But finally, on my day, on Alyssa and I's day yesterday, the good thing happened. The great thing happened. Dallas beat the Patriots in New England for the first time since 1987. I wasn't even alive the last last one in Foxborough. They did it over my wedding. It was absolutely awesome. You know, the, just the, the events, right? We're having dinner, and there's all these different tables with the games on their phone. I'm running around from table to table trying to find the, the person with the fastest stream and and of course, it goes into overtime and, and you know, all kinds of excitement with uh, big plays, pick six, big touchdowns. It was absolutely just we a were wild back and forth game. Actually waiting to cut the cake until after the game ended. 
But finally, it went into overtime, and the wedding planner said, "Come on, we we've got to cut the cake now. We can't <laughs> we can't wait for all of overtime." So, uh, I think your your first dance actually happened during overtime. Uh, game time decision uh, in the dance. Where I know your mind is on dancing with your beautiful wife, but in the back of your head, were you like wondering what the score was? Well, I, I was sitting there. And we were we were doing a slow dance, but obviously, but as I was turning to some of my friends that had the game on. I slowed it down just a hair just to see if they had any, you know, wave me down with any updates or anything like that. And of course, once we passed them and I'm, you know, doing the circle around the other way, I picked up the pace just a little bit, just so I could get back to them a little faster to see if there are any uh, late breaking updates in overtime. That's but a savvy veteran move there. You're well, like you a 60 year married veteran with those moves. Well, this isn't the first time I've, uh, I've been trying to get updates at games during a uh, big events, uh, going on in, in my life for other people. But, you know, it was it was obviously an awesome, awesome deal. Getting married, of course, and then, you know, Dallas winning, beating, you know, my in-laws, uh, their favorite team. That's just icing on the cake, especially the way they did it. Close, uh, you know, se- close second, Dallas win, but number one, getting married was most important. So, Oh, oh yeah. Well, it's like 1A and, uh, you know, 1A and then 1F, right? So it was... Yeah. Uh, and other news... Uh, let's get into these Redskins email scandal, like a offshoot of the John Gruden firing, resigning. Uh, first off, the NFL says they have reviewed all 650,000 emails, and there were no other bad things in the emails. So you're telling me five out of 650,000 emails were the only ones that were bad? I find that extremely hard to believe. Uh, but other than that, there was some other news that I'll, I'll let you get into this part. Um, there's an interesting tweet about the Redskins and the organization and like what may really be going on. Well, so, uh, this is Andrew Brand, who I think is who you're referring to. Uh, I was talking about this. Basically, uh, Brandt noticed that Carolina's owner, former owner, Jerry Richard, Jerry Richardson had been forced out being the owner of the Panthers a couple years ago from allegations of uh, harassment and, and uh, improper workplace environments. Uh, Brandt noted this and then commented, why isn't Dan Snyder being held up to the same standard? Why, why is Dan Snyder and his administration still in charge of the Washington franchise? You know, he brought up the, the allegations, very, very serious of selective enforcement and hypocrisy from the NFL's perspective. And, you know, we talked about this last week and I, and I looked it up just to make sure you know, I pulled up the Forbes most valuable NFL franchise list, and you got Washington is number eight, Carolina is number twenty-two. And just to reinforce that, uh, the Nielsen ratings for the media markets, the largest media markets in the U.S., which plays a big factor in how the NFL, because a big part of their thing is TV deals and marketing, obviously. Absolutely. Washington is number nine. Washington D.C., Charlotte, which is where the Carolina Panthers play, is number twenty-two. So. What that means is that because Washington is a more powerful franchise, there is now this appearance that they get to be above certain rules and uh, policies that the NFL has applied on smaller franchises and smaller teams like they did with Jerry Richardson and the Carolina Panthers a few years ago, which frankly, uh, you know, isn't right. I mean, there's so much going on in the NFL these days that the NFL needs to correct. And it seems to be instead of trying to focus and cleaning up, uh, improving the game and cleaning up the issues with the game, they're selectively enforcing a uh, different policies to different teams and different people uh, across the league. I also read somewhere that uh, 
Daniel Snyder, the leak of the emails was actually traced back to Daniel Snyder. Uh, and the way that I took it, this is my opinion now, is this was his way of saying, listen, back off of me or I'll take the whole ship down with me. I have 650,000 emails in the tank. Here's five. You know, let's see how this does. Obviously, John Gruden ends up getting fired. He, you can say he resigned, but he was fired. He would have been fired eventually. Uh, and why do they pick on Gruden? Two years ago, who was the coach of the Washington football team? Jay Gruden, John Gruden's brother, who badmouthed the Washington football team organization as a member of ESPN two years ago when Jay was fired. John Gruden. This is like a retribution, so to speak, of their hate for the Gruden family. Uh, but I feel like this is Daniel Siner sending that message that like, hey, you can come after me with this investigation. I'm not letting go of what how you stated the ninth most powerful or eighth most powerful uh, sports franchise in the world. Um, you can come after me all you want, but if you want to, like, the basically he's saying, if you come at the king, you best not miss, because I'm releasing all of the dogs, and everyone's coming down with me. Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely looking like that. You know, especially the fact that the NFL, you know, the reports that the NFL then took those messages from the, uh, Washington and Snyder and then started pumping them one-on-one to the Raiders to to get Gruden fired because the NFL by their positioning and, and all of their uh, social justice uh, policies and, and, and the different, uh, different initiatives they've done over the last few years, they've kind of backed themselves into a, a corner where they have to really hardcore enforce this. And I think that, you know, when they got these, were aware of these emails and, and started learning about all the things that were going on in the Washington organization and then launched their investigation into Washington, I think a year or two ago, I think, you're exactly right here. I think Snyder says, this is my response. John Gruden is a very well-known guy in the NFL. Obviously was the announcer as the coach. Here you go, NFL, you get him fired and show, you know, this guy's going to be against you, you know, get my other 649,900 emails. That'll get the entire league office, half the GMs. I mean, there's a lot of people that worked for Jay Gruden in Washington. You look at Sean McVay. Right. Yep. Uh, with the Rams, you look at Shanahan with San Francisco, they have connections to Washington. You know, there's a lot of GMs. There's a lot of scouts that have connections to Washington. You know, a lot of the owners, right? Like we, like we just talked about, Washington's a very powerful long-term franchise. They've got a lot of connections throughout the league. Heck, you may even have high-ranking executives in the league office that have ties to Washington. So I think this was, I think you're exactly right here. This was 100% Snyder and the Washington organization going to the NFL and say, Hey, I'll give you what you need to get a, a, a head on a platter. We'll get rid of Gruden. You can still get to safe face, but you stop your investigation into me or I'm taking this whole shit down. And yeah. I think the NFL caved, right? It was a game of chicken a little bit. And the NFL said, NFL said look, we'll get rid of Gruden. We'll, we'll, we'll try and play that PR battle and see how it goes, even though we're going to hurt the Raiders and hurt, hurt the image of the league for a little bit just to save face and hope Snyder isn't bluffing that he has enough information to take the league down. But let me ask you this. Do you think Snyder is just erasing all those emails or do you think they're just sitting in his back pocket, you know, waiting for another day? I think he's got them on a backup file somewhere. I think, uh, 
uh, just like every other coach and GM in the NFL, as they get their IT to burn their email servers to the ground. Uh, I think he's got his hidden for a rainy day, maybe some especially select emails uh, hidden, but uh, no one's going to get them unless he lets them out. So we'll see what happens. I don't think anything's going to happen. I'm kind of wondering, and I'm curious, because obviously Snyder was not a fan of changing the name of, of Washington from the Redskins to the Washington football team. I wonder if that's his next kind of play if he's like i'll change the name back to washington redskins you know just despite the nfl that'll be a very uh interesting and wild uh event should it occur that'll be tough i don't i don't foresee that happening but it would be a power move if he did it like listen we'll see how far this can go yeah but uh uh in a different vein same message aaron Rodgers proclaimed this past weekend i own to Chicago's Bear fans as a Bear fan lady in the stands allegedly gave him the double bird salute after scoring a big rushing touchdown. He's still got the legs, by the way. But uh, Aaron Rodgers saying, I own you to the Bears. I did some research. I did the looking up. Uh, When Favre gave the franchise over to Aaron, and he was the new quarterback, they were... Double-digit wins down to the Bears. A rivalry that's been going on for 100 years. But now, Green Bay owns the record for wins. I think they're almost 10, have 10 more wins than the Bears do. So I will say that his statement was accurate. They do own the Bears. What do you have to say about that? Well, Rodgers' record against Chicago speaks for itself. He's he's 22-5 and five against the Bears. One win in a playoff game, one win in a play-in game. I think it was week 17, uh, about six, seven years ago, that he beat the Bears in Chicago to put Green Bay in the playoffs. He's dominated Chicago throughout his tenure. Now, to be fair to Chicago, Aaron Rodgers has dominated a lot of franchises. Yeah, like I'm sure Dallas, he's dominated the Vikings. I'm sure he's dominated the Lions. You know, He's ripped Dallas's hearts out a number of times throughout his career. I just really like the fact that Rodgers still has this kind of feistiness and energy to him. You know, it kind of has a feel of the last dance with Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and this team, but he still has that energy. He still has that fight. That was kind of my question about Aaron Rodgers coming into this year was, well, knowing that he's got these other options, the Jeopardy and and some of his other uh, off the field endeavors that he's taking on. Will the passion and energy and excitement and drive to win and the day-to-day competitive nature still be there that he's had throughout his career? And the answer is emphatically yes. I mean, he's came out with the vengeance. And, you know, the game against Chicago was maybe a little closer than a lot of us thought, but Rodgers made the plays at the end of the game, uh, drove them length of the field, ran in for the the touchdown that put him up two scores, I think with three or four minutes to go. Uh, big road win, road division win for Green Bay. Uh, obviously a big emotional win for Rodgers uh, with, with the energy he showed. With, uh, huge, huge. Huge, yeah, exactly. Huge uh, outburst of energy uh, to the fans there in Chicago. And, you know, I don't know if Rodgers has an ownership stake in, in Chicago, um, but he, he might as well have one now the way he's played against in the last two decades. Absolutely. And uh, I personally believe this is Rodgers' last year in Green Bay. Um, whether he stays in football or not, I think he almost has to at this point. His best years aren't behind him quite yet. But uh, 
this, like you said, last dance to Green Bay. Let's see how far we can go. And I think they can go pretty far. They look pretty good so far this year. Um, You know who else looks really good this year? And I can say this because I'm very happy about it. Baltimore, they look great. Uh, they beat down the Chargers at home in all aspects of the game. Uh, before the game, Wink Martindale said, and I quote, Justin Herbert looks like the guy who can throw a strawberry through a battleship. What does that mean? Was it an insult? I'm not sure. It's a weird comment to say to somebody, but uh, he said it. And from there, uh, Baltimore went on to dominate the game. Yeah, they Baltimore obviously played extremely well. Um, I think the big uh, surprise for me was Baltimore's defense. You know, they had had issues against Kansas City. They'd even had issues against Detroit. They had they had some and issues Indianapolis and in Indianapolis. Carson Wentz had a field day against them. Uh, and they dominated Herbert in that that great Chargers offense and on, on all facets of the game. I think what was very interesting to me was how often uh, Chargers coach uh, Staley went for it on fourth down deep in his territory. Granted, they had fallen behind a couple scores uh, at that point in the game, but they had, you know, really felt, I guess, they could have matched up well in those fourth down situations and make some big plays. And credit to Martindale and that Baltimore defense. They made the plays on fourth down to to stop the Chargers, and that gave the, that Baltimore offense really great field position, and Baltimore pulled away. I mean, huge win for Baltimore. Huge. Absolutely. And let me uh, look up one thing before I speak out uh, of turn. I believe the Chargers running back, Austin Eckler, only had seven yards. Yes, seven rushing yards. That yeah, was gonna that had to be their key to the game there. They needed to be hard running the ball. Seven rushing yards. Highest rusher, Justin Herbert, two carries, twelve yards. So shut down the rushing game, shut down the passing game. Obviously, thirty-four to six. They didn't do much scoring or moving of the ball. Keys for me, Deshaun Elliott back on the back end at safety. Huge playmaker. Got the interception. Got a sack. You can feel it when he's back on defense. Uh, People may not know him. Big Texas guy. Big playmaker at Texas. Uh, He's just a great player. Having him on that back end helps strengthen that defensive uh, DB core. Because we already have one DB out. And having two out you can really pick on one side of the the field where backup safety, backup corner are in. Uh, If the safety's back, it's a little bit more difficult. And a few other notes for this game. Uh, People will say, oh, this team's hurt, that team's hurt. I'm just going to point this out, okay? Notable Ravens on the IR this season. Our starting running back, J.K. Doppins. Our other starting running back, because we have a stable approach to running backs, Gus Edwards. Our starting corner, Marcus Peters, is out. Starting middle linebacker, who usually lines up next to Patrick Queen. Malik Harrison has been good in his absence, but LJ Fort is out. Our starting left tackle, who is now officially out for the rest of the season, Ronnie Stanley, is out. Our starting blocking tight end, who is a huge deal in Baltimore for running the ball, Nick Boyle, is out, who is slated to return for this week's game, which I'm happy about that. And Derek Wolf, our starting uh, defensive tackle, is also out. And Justin Matabique has been pretty good 
in his absence. But Derek Wolf is just a dog up front, and uh, he was for Denver for many, many years. Von Miller attributed many of his sacks to to Derek Wolf. So I'll be glad when some of these guys can start to come back. But they're still five and one, uh, so they played great even amongst all the adversity. And I think it's just a special season. They're, Lamar's making his case for another MVP season. They're making their case that it doesn't matter who we lose, we can still go far. Well, I think it's a credit to the GM, Eric DaCosta, right? Because so much of the, because the NFL is a salary cap league, which means your salaries are limited. Uh, a team can only spend so much money on player salaries each year. Uh, it means you have to really focus who you, uh, who you pay and how much you pay them. And what DaCosta has obviously done with that organization is through the draft and free agencies, they've built a lot of depth because you don't have that level of injuries, especially at those key positions, and still put a good product out on the field on Sundays without having a lot of depth and, and managing the money, not overpaying, you know, but understanding who you have to pay to bring in the building, maybe a little extra. You know, they let Judon go. He was a great player, has played very well in New England. But, you know, that was too much money to spend on defensive linemen. They spent some more money on depth in some key positions. And I agree, Baltimore's got a lot of uh, players coming back. They're going to be a very, very interesting team down the stretch in, in that AFC. And I think a lot of the credit goes to uh, general manager Eric DaCosta. Last point on Baltimore, I'll say two things. One, my key to all of this is the stellar left tackle play of Alejandro Villanueva, former Pittsburgh Steeler. He's played really good um, this year. I think all of the offensive line has played well, uh, as well as uh, the just defensive unit as a whole. Rookies are coming in. Second year guys are coming in, and we're getting it feels like more pressure, uh, especially veteran outside linebacker Justin Houston came in, has made a big difference. We're getting more pressure than we've ever gotten before. I've never, we always used to get pressure, but we never converted that to sacks. Plenty of sacks to be had this year. Right. And I think a big part of that is, you know, winning, focusing and winning in the trenches on the offensive defensive line, like you've noticed and like we've talked about before. That takes uh, the right mindset. You got to bring in the right guys. You know, we talk about Villanueva was a free agent. Houston was a free agent. And understanding that they're good fits. You know, you're looking for smarter, savvier, more veteran type guys. Uh, then you bounce it out with some young rookies or some young, other young players that have come in and have to make plays. And I think that kind of team building approach has uh, done very well for Baltimore this year. And we we saw it on Sunday with how they played LA. All right. Uh, moving on from there. Uh... Other notable wins this week, uh, the Raiders fight through adversity without all these head coaching changes, everything that they've had to go through in the media, pull out a big win. Good for them. Uh, anything you want to say on the Raiders win? Yeah, I think this is just more of a obviously big uh, big moment for that team, and I'll talk a little more about that later on, on our uh, other leadership segment coming up. I think – this is more an indication of Vic Fangio as a head coach of their opponent that uh, last weekend, which was Denver, how he has totally lost uh, control over this, this, this season. They started three and zero. they've lost three straight. This was a big chance for them to get a win uh, against a Raiders team that had some off the field issues to say the least. Right. Yeah. And, and he, they couldn't do it. They, they got beat and they got beat bad. Teddy Bridgewater has struggled. He's had some injuries, but he's played poorly. That defense that we thought was going to be really, really high level, adding Sertan into the mix, has not been uh, playing well Secondary at all. has been abysmal. 
It's been very, very bad, very, very bad. And, and I think it's time Fangio probably feels himself on the hot seat a little bit as a coach. I mean, they're, that's a brutal division. Uh, they find themselves at the bottom of that tie with Kansas City. And as much as Kansas City has issues, I think it's a no-brainer that Kansas City is playing better than Denver right now. Yeah. I, I think Denver is heading towards a last-place finish, and it's not looking good for Fangio uh, in his tenure in Denver. Not at all. Um, let's see here. On the list, I have some you know funny stuff. Miles Garrett decorates his front yard this year for Halloween with the gravestones of opposing quarterbacks. I thought that was quite funny. Uh, a, a good humorous approach to you know saying I'm good. Uh, other note: Miles Garrett has also been randomly drug tested twice after going sleeveless in a game. Uh, the NFL saw those guns. Miles Garrett's obviously an athletic freak. And uh, they said, hey, this guy might be on HGH. Let's test him. Uh, first, as a piss test, he passed that. And then the second week he goes sleeveless, they give him an HGH blood test. Uh, he passes that as well. So uh, NFL's on to you, Miles. You can't look that good and, you know, not be on something. So they're going to figure it out eventually. I, it's, you know, he is an athletic freak. I think the gravestone thing is, a, is an interesting choice on his part after he uh, literally almost decapitated Mason Rudolph a couple of years ago. I think he, uh, as long as he doesn't put Rudolph in that graveyard, I think he may be okay. Uh, in terms of the NFL's random drug test, yeah, it, it, it's strange how you only get a randomly drug test after a big game or a, or a big moment, right? When you, when you stink and you, and you have a garbage day, the NFL. Good on yeah. Garrett to still being uh, at least testing clean. He's, he's obviously been a, a destructive force in his tenure in the league so far. Um, and uh, I feel bad for any quarterbacks that I have to go up against him. They may find themselves in that uh, graveyard of his before Halloween. You know who took offense to it? Is another guy who had a huge day, and I'll let you speak on this. Kyler Murray actually uh, talked to him after the game. He said, hey, I don't belong in that graveyard, big boy. You're not getting me. So uh, would you like to speak on so, Arizona's dominating performances this season? Yeah, they, they blew me away last week. They're the only undefeated team left in the NFL, which I didn't see coming. I'm sure very few people did as well. They didn't have their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, due to some COVID-19 protocol issues, along with some other uh, coaches and some other players. It's just a testament to Kyler Murray and uh, the, the structure of that team. How they come out and play a, a decent Cleveland team and absolutely demolish them. I mean, they won by 23 points, and it could have been even worse because Cleveland got a Hail Mary right before the half, right, to kind of make the game even closer. Kyler Murray's been fantastic this year. I think he's the MVP runaway right now. It's, you know, the way this goes, uh, we'll see how it it finishes out, but I mean, looking at his numbers, he's completing 74% of his pot, uh, passes, nine yards in attempt, 14 TDs. He's third in QBR. The team's undefeated. This is supposed to be a brutal division. You know, I was talking about Seattle. You talk about the Rams, and and Arizona's beat both of those teams as the the undisputed uh, number one guy in that division right now. They're they're playing extremely well. You know, they fight through adversity. They don't have their coach on the sideline. I mean, that just we talked about Urban Meyer, you know, flying back with his team. At least Urban Meyer was on the sideline for the game, right? You know, the, the Cardinals yeah. had to play a game without their coach on the sideline, and they still executed at a very, very high level and, and, and won going away. And I'm, I'm blown away by Kyler Murray. He's obviously an exciting player. He's not a productive player. His third year in the league out of Oklahoma. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed by his growth and by this team's growth, and uh, they're, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with the rest of the year. 
two key points to add on to yours, one positive, one negative. Positive, the Cardinals have now picked up Zach Ertz from the Philadelphia Eagles. Pretty big deal, seeing as how the Cardinals, or Arizona as an organization, has not had a tight end with a 100-yard receiving game since the 80s. Folks, that's a long time. This is a good tight end. Obviously, Dallas Goddard has replaced him in Philadelphia, but uh, Ertz on this Cardinals team could be dangerous. Second point on the more negative side, the Cardinals are obviously extremely hot right now. Do they slow down? Has they caught fire too early, as many teams can do? Is it better to catch fire late and run it into the playoffs, or can they keep this momentum up? If they can keep it up, well, then all power to them. I think they have every chance in the world to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. But uh, that's they haven't really had any injuries. They haven't had too many other than losing their coach to COVID, but he's coming back. They haven't had too many things to fight through. It's been a pretty ideal season for them so far, and it's only getting stronger with the addition of Ertz. I wish them the best because if my team makes it to the playoffs, to the Super Bowl, that would be a worthy opponent to go against. Yeah, I think Arizona, you hit on it. They've had kind of a smooth start to the year with injuries and some of the other things. But it's it's football. That's a big part of it, right? Who can be healthy you know, throughout the year? And, and even if they slow down, because they've already won six games or 6-0, and they've had some big division wins, and they're already in a strong position to win some tiebreakers and when it comes to seeding in the playoffs and, and clinching the division in the playoffs. You know, I, th- I think they're, they're, they've done very well. I'm very impressed with the defense, right? They're not dominant, but they're good enough with that offense. Uh, Murray has continued to just grow as a player. A.J. Green as a free agent has stepped in to make some big plays. DeAndre Hawkins, you know, is obviously a superstar. And I think getting Ertz at tight end, is, it's just another weapon, right? I think the Cardinals uh, organization has realized that the stars are kind of aligning this year, kind of shaping up to be a their year kind of moment especially once Russell Wilson got hurt and Garoppolo's had some injuries with San Francisco, this division that was supposed to be brutal is a little less brutal. And so they're going all in, they're putting all the chips in the middle of the table. They're doubling down, whatever card game analogy you want to use. Uh, Let's to get while the getting is good, right? This is, you know, like the old uh, Kenny Rogers saying, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. They know this is their chance to hold them. And uh, I, they're, they're committed to a, a championship kind of run out in Arizona. And last point, uh, rookie sensation Rondell Moore is looking really good. I didn't even know who that was when they drafted him. He looked like a superstar. All uh, I will say, playing next to DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green probably opens you up for a few bigger balls uh, down the field. So maybe, you know, that has helped him out a lot. But nonetheless, you got to still catch him. So he's doing good on that aspect. Uh, last thing we have to talk about, not to say the least, is actually a huge game, huge day for us in our picks department. This was the deciding factor going into Monday Night Football. We are all tied up at uh, 7 and 6. And this Titans-Bills game, you called it. I will say it. You called it nail on the head. Bills in for a big upset game. I wouldn't say it was so much of an upset as the Titans willed this win through a one-man wrecking crew of Derrick Henry. 
yeah, he's as he's been the last few years, he's been absolutely incredible. Uh, he ran for a buck 40 and three scores. Tannehill's production in the passing game to A.J. Brown and Julio Jones was essentially all play action. It was unbelievable. It was either a power to uh, out of shotgun or under center to Derrick Henry or a play action off that same play to hit A.J. Brown or, or Julio Jones over the middle with some crossing route or something like that. Look, Derrick Henry's just taking over this league over the past three years as a runner. You know, I looked up, he has 783 rushing yards this season through six games. That's number one in the NFL. Number two has 523. To put that in perspective, the difference between number one, Derrick Henry, number two, Nick Chubb, the difference between those two guys is the difference between the Nick Chubb at number two and the number 30 ranked leading rusher. Derrick Henry is essentially lapping the entire NFL. Remember, there are only 32 teams in the league. So Derrick Henry is essentially leading the second leading rusher in the NFL and the rest of the league on top of that with his production. Absolutely unheard of. The, the fact that he doesn't get as much MVP consideration is kind of a shame because I don't know if we will ever see a guy as dominant as Derrick Henry has been, especially with how much the league has gone to a passing game. He's He's been absolutely the focal point of that offense, to say the least, even with some injuries on that offensive line and some upheaval at the some of the skill positions. They've continued to hand him the ball with a lot of success. You know, Great job, Derrick Henry. Big win uh, for Tennessee at home. Uh, Monday night against Buffalo. And this is kind of the win I think Tennessee needs to start their season turning around. Absolutely. And like you said, people say, oh, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Dak? Is it going to be Lamar? Will it be Murray, Brady, Stafford, Rodgers? Who's it going to be? It's an insult to not put Derrick Henry's name at the top of that list. He's got 10 touchdowns this season, 783 rushing yards through six games you know only three players in nfl history have done that you know who those three players are derrick henry jim brown and eric dickerson hall of fame elite company he is a absolute monster in the nfl's passing league he runs away his 76 yard touchdown effortless no one even touched him i love seeing guys going out in the middle of the field with a wide-open Derrick Henry rushing down and have to make a business decision. Do I want to die and try to tackle this guy, or am I going to just like grab onto his foot and see if I can slow him down and wait for help to arrive? It is absolutely incredible watching him play. Uh, more kudos to the Titans under Mike Vrabel. Since 2018, this is their 13th fourth-quarter comeback under Vrabel. I think that's incredible. Um, there you look. They, I knew, you knew, they started out disappointing. You picked them to go to the Super Bowl. They are not out of that race by any means. They started out a little bit slow, but we all knew the potential was there for them to be good. Um, and I think they really showed it in a big, big win against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and I would like to say, before we move on to our trivia segment, uh, I got the opportunity this week to go on to a local talk radio station, uh, the Press Box Radio, heard around this area. You can listen to it online at thepressboxradio.com. Uh, I'd like to thank Alan Smothers, the bad boy of Sports Talk Radio, for having me on to let me promote the show. Uh, any listeners that trickled on over from his, uh, we are so happy that you're here. We're a young podcast just getting started 
and we just love that you're here and this is this is us uh honest brutal simple uh nfl talk just guys that love the game and uh we're happy to talk about it but uh moving on any last words that you have to say nick before we move into trivia no i think i think i'm good and as always like you mentioned big thanks to uh Big thanks to uh, Alan and, and his team there, and we're excited for anyone else that joins uh, joins us uh, listening to our show, and uh, glad to have you. Absolutely. All right, you got a question for me? Yep, all right. Get you nice and loose and ready for our deep dive segment with this week's trivia question. So, uh, as always, going to have five seconds to answer, and then three seconds uh, after that, where I'm going give, to give you a hint, then you have three seconds after that. All right, so this week's trivia question is, it who am I? So who am I? I was a linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals for a number of years as a starter. In a playoff game after the 2015 season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fontes Perfect. There you go, Fontes Perfect. I so, killed Antonio Brown. Yeah, that, that, well, I said it a little nicer than that. It says, my <laughs> quote-unquote controversial uh, shot to Antonio Brown resulted in a three-game suspension and putting the Pittsburgh Steelers in field goal range to beat me in the playoffs, which you obviously got. As well, being an AFC North fan, uh, as soon as you said I was a linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals, I already knew who it was because there wasn't that many uh, linebackers to the Cincinnati Bengals. But to your credit, as you're always thinking, that was the perfect question to lead us into our deep dive topic this week which is are the new concussion rules targeting taunting all defensive pass interference offensive pass interference the whole game are these rules and implementation of these rules softening or ruining the game of football too much uh, i think uh this will be a bit of an opinion piece on what we think but we have some pretty good opinions i believe uh, would you like to get us started, Nick? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think first of all, our opinions are pretty close to fact, you and I. So I think we're we're going to be right on the money anyway. But uh, with with uh, I'll start with the unnecessary roughness penalties. It, it it frustrates me and it frustrates a lot of football fans. Every time there's a big hit, you know, you know, we talked about this last week. The first thing you do is you look around for a flag. Where's the penalty? It hurts the flow of the game because it, it adds an extra 15 yards that didn't really incur by the offense, right? The game is structured and game planning is structured in such a way where offensive coordinators are looking for those 15 to 20 yard chunk plays, right? Because you don't get a lot of them over the course of the game. You, you know, you, you get a lot of the four or five yards, the short passes, and then you look for those big plays. Uh, it was kind of intermediate 20, 25 yard plays, 15 yard plays you know, over the course of a drive at a game. I think these 15 yard unnecessary roughness penalties just shift it so much to the offense because it's essentially handing them a free one, especially if it's a roughing the passer and it was an incomplete pass or something like that. It's handing them a free chunk play, which makes it so hard for the defense and it makes it so hard for uh, teams to, you know, manage the game effectively and control the flow from that side of the ball. Cause so many times you can get a stop or get in a good third down situation or deliver a big statement hit or something like that on defense. And it just adds 15 yards net effect to the offense. It's just tough to play defense that way. I understand the NFL is looking to put up more points and get more yards and get more fans, more exciting, more highlights. And I hundred percent understand that, but the way you don't do that is by stopping the flow of the game and handing the offense 15 yards. I've seen drives this season. I'm sure you, you see it too, where 
you know, the running back had 15 yards rushing, the quarterback had 20 yards passing, but it was an 80 yard touchdown drive because there were three 15 yard penalties tacked on to three of those plays. We want to see the offenses execute against the defenses at a high level. And I think the NFL can adjust rules to maybe support that plan. But this egregious amount of 15-yard penalties for unnecessary roughness and late hits is just absolutely hurting the watchability of the game in a way that's not needed, right? You can you can find players, hit them in their wallets really, really hard uh, for these if you think they're an unnecessary helmet-to-helmet hit or something like that. And obviously, if it's an egregious foul, penalize them during the game. But – don't hurt the flow of the game for questionable 15 yard penalties that make it so hard to play defense. What do you think about this? Um, I love what you said there because I'll tap into my previous life before I worked in the film production world. I was a police officer for five years and I have an interesting perspective on this as a police officer going through police Academy and other things. One thing they always told you, and I think this goes for the refs, your strongest tool it's not your gun, it's not your car, it's not your handcuffs. It's the word discretion. You have discretion to implement these laws or these rules at your discretion. If you see someone trying to pull up, and yeah, maybe their face mask or side of their helmet hits somebody else's helmet, but they're trying to pull back and it was just... Uh, was going to happen, you know, it's not intentional. They're not leading with the crown of their helmet. They're not trying to kill someone, take their head off of. You don't have to make that call. You don't have to. And I think if the NFL would come out and say, listen, the rules are there to help guide the game. They are not the gospel. There is gray area. If the refs were able to enforce them in a way that they thought was best, Yes, there would be controversy with fans where they say, hey, this guy got this call and this guy didn't. What's up with that? But I think the game overall would be a much better game. I think uh, especially like like we can akin it back to the days where, what does everyone say? You can find a holding call on every play if you look for it. You just... Is it worth calling it? Do you let them play? Has it affected the play? Like you said, some of these calls are just so... Like if a guy is coming down on the quarterback and he has to make a two-second split decision to try to dodge him or hurt them the least amount, and then you get a roughing the passer call because you were about to sack him, but he threw it away at the last second, like that really hurts the game of football. That really kills the defense it makes them not be able to play the game the way that it should be played. Uh, you should be able to discern what was the intention of that play. And it's going to take time to drill that into everybody's heads that, yes, this is, you're not going to get that call every time, but this is for the betterment of the game. I agree that, uh, I agree that in a way, Penalties and things are to make the game safer for the players, and I like that. But sometimes you have to look at the intent of the action, and sometimes it does not need to be called. Right, and it's sort of on top of intent. It was, well, what's the alternative, right? You see some of these roughing the passers or some other unnecessary roughnesses where 
the defender's going in, maybe he's fighting off a block. He's maybe falling down and he just kind of tries to go for a tackle and the wrong body part of his hits the wrong body part of the, the quarterback or receiver, whoever. And, and a lot of us watching the game are, are I understand that the, technically that may be a penalty, but what else was the defender supposed to do? If, if the defender in the split second trying to fight off and make a really challenging athletic play, he doesn't have the, the time or the ability to think, oh, I need to make sure I lift my arm up six inches or, or you know, keep my head up high or make sure I don't fall into his, his knees or whatever. He's just trying to make a play. He's paid a lot of money and drilled into him constantly to make these plays. And it's split second. It's so fast. And it just is absolutely impossible for, for him to say, oh, I got to stop or, oh, I got to change my direction slightly. And, and those are the penalties that really get me because it doesn't give the defender an alternative because there's a discussions about player safety. It's like, look, if the player can't make another decision, then it's not about being safe. It's about trying to change the rules of the game. You know, I think the NFL for the whole safety thing, they're very reactionary and they overreact all the time. You remember a few years ago when they, they changed the pass interference penalty after the uh, NFC championship game against the Rams in new Orleans, and they, they made it challengeable. Uh, I think it was, they only had that for a year, right? Cause then the, it just slowed the game down so much because yeah. so many penalties or, or non-penalties were challenged. The NFL just reacts. They see, you know, something they don't like. They're, they get some concern about player safety or they see a big pass interference penalty. Look, this is a violent game. This is a game with a lot of controversial calls. You can't try and get rid of all that aggression and all the controversial calls. Penalties will happen. Controversial calls will happen. Players and coaches know how to react to the rules of the game in a way that if something gets, you know, a bad call goes against them and suddenly, hey, it's fourth down instead of third down well there's another play there's another chance but this constant interruption of the flow of the game and and not giving defenders usually an alternative to make a play it's just making it so players and coaches can't play the game in a way that the refs and the nfl wants it done and we see it hurting the game every sunday absolutely and uh <clears throat> i think you uh, linking back to your uh comment about the pass interference being challengeable what was the most egregious part about them doing that? They never overturn anything. And I think it's part of the hubris of the refs, like not wanting to admit fault or that they are wrong. They missed a call. And I will say this. I heard uh, Mike Pereira say this. Being a, we all as a fan base are the best slow-mo refs in the, we'd make every call right. Cause we see it in slow-mo for different angles on the field, being a referee in real time, it is an extremely difficult job. And I will say, 90% of the time, they get it right. He said 99, I'll say 90. 90% of the time, they're getting it right. Which, kudos to them. Very tough job. Um, but, I think the challenge, I think the, uh, I think there should be reward, I think there should be Praise the refs get nothing but hate. No one ever praises the refs for their calls. They get challenged and assaulted for the bad calls. I think having a booth ref upstairs looking, reviewing all these calls, who can make the ultimate call, and that ref getting, you know, I don't know, somehow incentivizing them to make the call, like reverse calls that need to be made, that you know, look, y'all missed this one. This is what happened. Call this. You know, 
I think that should happen because we have all the technology. We have the ability to review all these things. Uh, if someone calls, oh, he stepped out or he was a catch, wasn't a catch. Uh, those things are very easily looked at and someone says, hey, yeah, he caught it. Hey, I yeah, know his foot touched out here. Hey, uh, you know, the guy was pulling on the back of his jersey and you just didn't see it was pass interference or they're both going for the ball, not pass interference. We have too much ability to watch those things in real time very quickly after the play that it is frankly insulting that we don't try to speed the play. Like, I don't understand why I think this weekend I saw it a couple times, why it takes like two minutes after a play to review something and figure out, you know, what the the call was. I think I watched something and it, it had to have been three, four, five minutes that they sat there and looked at it and looked at it and looked at it and they're like, was it a catch? Wasn't it a catch? Like, what? where did the clock need to re- be reset to? Where should the ball be put back to? It just took so long. They should have someone, why is the screen that the refs look at like seven inches? It's like this tiny. Why can't we get a flat screen out there where they see the whole play going on you know, these guys don't necessarily have the best eyesight at the age that they're at. Let's give them all the advantages. Let's get an IMAX movie theater out there and, you know, oh, yep, I can definitely see his foot touched out right here. We need to be giving the refs every ability to make the right call. And if they need help from upstairs, that's not, you know, you don't have to do it on your own. There is technology out there. Let there be a ref up in the booth to make these calls and don't be against that person. I feel like they were against that person last year where when someone challenged someone, everyone's like, listen, don't over challenge my calls or we're going to find your house and burn it down. Cause I, it's just crazy to me. And I think if we were to really look into fixing the referee part of the game, a lot of fans would be a lot more happy. Yeah. I think I've, I felt there's, there's two ways the league can go. And of course they pick the worst, uh, they've kind of stuck between the two, the worst situation. They've been lukewarm about it, so to speak. One is remove replay completely, right? The NFL existed for 30 years without replay or, or longer than that. You know, add, you know, add another ref or two on the field if you want, but remove it completely. Let the game go. Hey, look, there's going to be missed calls. There's going to be situations that should have been called a touchdown and it wasn't a touchdown or should have been called a catch and it wasn't a catch. But at least that way we remove the slow pace of the game. There's no uh, egregious challenges or refs, like you said, up in the box, not wanting to overturn refs calls on the field. We at least remove that and the pace of the game remains constant. I'm not really a fan of that approach, but that's better than where they are now. I think the best approach is that you have the same amount of refs that are are up watching the game and watching replays and certain calls are their call. Right. So I understand things like pass uh, interference and offensive holding are, you know, those are kind of, they kind of have to be on the field, live TV, you know, not live TV, but live game action to know if something really was pass interference or not, because there's a lot of gamesmanship going on. Right. So it's so hard to tell in slow-mo replays, but there's some things I think, look, personal fouls. I don't see how any ref on the field should be able to call that or roughing the passer. Look, get guys up in the booth whose only job is to watch replays of roughing the passer or these personal foul hits. And just while the game's going on, while the play goes on, watch it, you know, watch it live, get the quick replay and then buzz down. Hey, that's a penalty. <laughs> it's not a penalty. And then move on. 
because the guy on the field, it, he sees it from only one view. He sees it full speed. Some of these calls are such big penalties. I don't think he has the vantage point or the understanding to, to know exactly what happened. Well, so, like, and he's got a lot on his plate. Right. You got, you're looking for six different calls at the same time. Was this holding? Was this pass interference? Was this roughing the passer? Was this a personal foul? If you take those extra calls off their plate and lift them up to somebody else who's watching, you know, I think that it, like you said, it'll speed things up. They don't have to, they can focus on one thing. Yeah, that, and that was exactly my point. Because you look at the uh, the referee, for example, who's behind the offense during a play. He's looking for holding. He's looking for hands to the face. You know, he's looking for so many things. He's looking for when the quarterback gets outside the pocket for things like intentional grounding, those kind of calls. Because those are a lot of, you have to be on the field for those kind of calls, you know, quarterback position. Uh, where's potentially forward progress? Is the ball going forward if he gets sacked and fumbled? Uh, while he's trying to attempt to pass. That's what that referee in that case is specifically looking for. And then you're dumping all this unnecessary roughness or roughing the passer calls on top of that. It's just too much. And I think it's not fair for them to try and handle all that. They get put in a tough situation. That's why I think the best remedy is just have the guys up in the booth, not for replay, but like we just talked about, to watch for those specific penalties and buzz down to the field if they see something that needs to be called. Absolutely. And I don't, you know, I think that's the way that we got to handle it. And I I completely agree with you. You know, I, I don't think there's much more to say about it other than, like you said, there's two ways to go about it. You got to pick one and you got to stick with it. We can't be, uh, kind of don't call them, but kind of do call them. Like either have some guys up there in the box that make these calls or don't have anyone and don't have any replays. There's okay. got there. You can't be like you said, lukewarm. And I think that's that was a really good uh, point you had there. All right. You have anything else on? No, I'm. I, I always enjoy bashing the refs and bashing the league. Any segment where I can do that, I think, uh, is a Absolutely. fun one, right? Absolutely. Well, speaking of bashing, uh, we've got our worst to first segment. We can call someone the worst team in the NFC East. Um. I'll start us out this week. I believe you started us last week. Uh, this one, and I will give a big shout out to JD Rudman. Uh, your dad made a very astute comment about something that I said. Of course, I always love it when people pump up things I said. He said, it's just like Bill Parcells said uh, at one point during the season after enough games come by. You are who your record says you are. And the more and more the season comes through, especially looking divisionally, not looking at the AFC or NFC as a whole, it's pretty easy to pick these teams out. But this one was a little bit more challenging because there were closer records. And I, I don't think that um I don't think that it was quite as easy. But I'll start in my number four slot. I have the absolute worst team in the NFC East, no other than the New York Giants. What more needs to be said? They suck. Uh, I don't think they're a threat to anybody but themselves. They may sneak a win out every once in a while uh, if you let them, but I, it's the Giants. Uh, with, until they get their stuff together, I don't think <clears throat> they are any threat to anybody. Um, number three 
on here. This this middle section was tough to pick out. I have the Eagles in number three. Uh, they have underperformed this season with their guy, quote-unquote, in Jalen Hurts, a guy they drafted uh, for the quarterback's position who they thought would be good. Uh, I think overall, they had the pieces and they have who they want, but the way they have performed, just overall, every, every roster spot, they are worse than the teams that are ahead of them on this list. Uh, and with the 3-3 three and three record, you know, I'm putting them as Jalen Hurts may not be the guy. we got to see what happens. Uh, number two, I have the Washington football team, and it's a team that uh, I think has the second-best position groups on this list outside of quarterback, uh, and that is why I have them in the number two spot because they have done more with less at the QB position, which is obviously the most important position on the field. I think that what they have done ever since Fitzpatrick has been gone, Heineke has stepped up, and he's done okay, but they have done pretty okay with not having what I would consider a starting caliber quarterback at the helm. Heineke could be the guy, but let's be honest, you've seen him. He's done enough to them not lose, but uh, I don't think that he is going to be your QB of the future. And finally, easy, easy number one, Dallas. Clear number one in this division. It's not even close. Crazy good offense. Have been playing pretty amazing on defense lately, especially Trayvon Diggs in that secondary. Uh, Micah Parsons, uh, Leighton Vander Esch. All have been playing real good uh, with some key injuries at the uh, defensive end positions. I think that Dallas, the more and more the season goes on, they are a top-tier threat to make a deep run in the playoffs this year. And that's that's a good list of mine. So I always appreciate any list that has Dallas at number one. Uh, so I'm going to run through mine. Uh, Kind of, kind of similar thoughts, a little different there in the middle. I got number four, worst team, that's the Giants. Look, they've been bitten by the injuries. They've got Barkley's out. They've Sterling Shepard's out. Uh, their rookie, Tony's out. Daniel Jones had a concussion against Dallas. Look, they're, they're just not a very good football team. They're not very deep. Joe Judge is a, their head coach. He was another Bill Belichick assistant who appears to be struggling in a new job. They're the worst team in that division. I don't think it's really that close. Uh, they just got killed by the Rams. They got killed by Dallas the previous week. They're kind of teetering right now to you know, a really bad losing streak potentially. So I, it's not looking good for uh, for the Giants this season. I think number three, I got the Washington football team. Uh, three and two were, were kind of a toss-up to me. I think the only thing is quarterback and it's because Heineke's streaky. He's has, he has games where he's really good. He has games where he's not so good. He's a backup, so it's not really his fault. But I think that – uh. That lack of stability at the quarterback position really hurts Washington to be a contender. And look, that defensive front that's supposed to have, you know, that does have Chase Young and 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 Montez Sweat and all those guys supposed to be a really stacked defensive line. They're not getting it done like they were last year, and that's the reason they're not quite the threat they were last year. I have them at number three. Uh, number two is Philly. Look, I think it's a Jalen Hurts show. I'm really impressed with Jalen Hurts. 
you know, he's had great games against Tampa. He had an opportunity against Philly. He had a few chances against Dallas. Dallas just made some plays and pulled away. Uh, I, I think he has the ability to create big plays. He's got a lot of talent. You know, trading Ertz is going to be fine because I think Goddard's stepping up. They need some uh, health back on that offensive line. Lane Johnson is now back in the fold. I, I think they've got some players on that offense. Their defense has some issues. I don't think they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they're better than Washington and New York. I have them at number two. And number one, I'm right there with you, is Dallas. Look, I think they've overperformed offensively and defensively. I think defensively, it's a little bit of a mirage. They give up a lot of yards and a lot of big plays, but they have made some big plays of their own on defense. You mentioned Trayvon Diggs. He's obviously made a number of them. I think uh, that kind of will slow down the turnovers and and all that over the course of the season because right now it's six games. It's a smaller sample size. But, look, I think it's a great start so far, and they are going to get healthier. Um, So I, I do see some losses coming as the season goes on. Uh, they got some big matchups down the stretch, and we'll, we'll see how they do. But, look, I agree with you. They're the number one team in the division right now. And if, if they get healthy and they keep it rolling on offense, I think they're a chance to make a big run. So uh, just to recap, I've got the Giants at four. I've got Washington at three. I've got the Philadelphia Eagles at two. And I've got uh, America's Dallas Cowboys at number one. Yep, and same for me. You know, Giants, and then I had the Eagles, Washington at number two. In Dallas at number one, <clears throat> which leads us to what I think. I think we've had some great ones lately. Our top five segment, and this week, uh, the last few weeks, it has been interesting to see how we have quantified what makes you on the list with the brothers, with uh, all all aspects. What you know, we jerseys, what makes the list? What did you put into it? And this week is no different. Top five leaders on NFL teams. Which players are the leaders? Uh, and it didn't matter how well you play football, so to speak. Who is the biggest leaders in the locker room, on the field, day to day? Who are the best leaders on NFL teams? And I started the last one. I will let you start this one. Sure. So I'll, I'll start with number five and, and work my way up the list. And I'm going an interesting take here. I'm going Jimmy Garoppolo. And this is just a story of, look, the 49ers are bad when he doesn't start. They're good when he does. And the, the big knock on Garoppolo was, well, he has a lot of physical talent, but it's all about decision-making and, and things like that. And Mike Shanahan's offense, and they've got a lot of players around him. If we put someone else in with some physical talent or more physical talent, they'll do just as well. Look, they put in Trey Lance. They put in some other guys over the last few years when Garoppolo was hurt, and they didn't perform better. In fact, they performed worse, and the team has lost a lot without Garoppolo. I think at a certain point, you got to attribute it to how he handles being the quarterback. You know, call it leadership, call it game management, whatever you want to call it. Just that difference between the, the San Francisco 49ers when Jimmy Garoppolo is the starter and when he's not the starter. You know, it it wreaks something dramatic, and I got to attribute it to his leadership because physical talent, the the starter when he got hurt, uh, when Garoppolo got hurt was Trey Lance, is uber talented, and the team got significantly worse. So I think a lot of their success with Garoppolo has to go on his leadership. Uh, Number four, very surprised uh, about what happened with the Raiders this weekend, but I think it's a tribute to Derek Carr. You know, they won after John Gruden 
uh, was no longer the head coach of the organization, a lot of upheaval. I think Derek Carr handled that like an absolute professional, an absolute leader. This locker room, I, I think, was kind of ripe for a big, big blowout defeat that, you know, playing a Denver team that had won some games and had a chance. It's kind of a rivalry game. I would not have been surprised if Vegas would have gotten killed 40 to three or something just awful. But Derek Carr rallied the ship. He's done this a number of times in his career. You know, he's won 12 games as a starter. He's had some big comebacks. You know, he's been kind of a goofy guy, but he, he has kind of kept that locker room together. He handled the move from Oak, Oakland to Vegas last year very, very well. I think he's kind of jumped out, especially after this Gruden situation as a top leader in the National Football League. I have him at number four. Number three, you know, another kind of interesting guy is Aaron Rodgers. Look, a lot of it, the criticism on Rodgers has been that he's not a great leader in the locker room or, or in the organization. It's obvious that the players on that team and probably the coaches to gravitate toward him. They feed off his energy. They feed off his talent. He's got kind of that Pied Piper thing, right, where he may not be a, a real demonstrative leader. He may not be the most normal leader that you think a, a guy in that position would be. But players on that team follow him. They want to be around him. They want to play with him. They want to play hard for him. And it's shown up in Green Bay's record. They're five and one. I think a big part of that is Rogers' leadership. Uh, number two. We talked about Arizona earlier. I'm going J.J. Watt. Look, I'm not a big J.J. Watt guy historically, but the fact of the matter is Arizona is a different team this year than they were last year, and a big part of that is the attitude in that locker room, I feel like. They were a young team last year. You know, Taking on some form of success was new for them. They're handling it so much better this year. They, they overcome every obstacle. They lose, they lose Cliff Kingsbury, you know, COVID protocols like we talked about. That puts a lot of pressure on leadership on the team, internal that locker room. I think Kyler Murray took some of that on, but I think J.J. Watt's leadership and personality handled a lot of that, and that's a big reason why they beat Cleveland. And look, throughout his career, we've seen it with J.J. Watt. He's done so much in the community. He stepped up, raised a lot of money uh, for the city of Houston. He is an absolute grinder as a hard worker. He treats himself, uh, treats his body very, very well with a lot of hard workouts, a lot of diet. He's overcome a lot of injuries. He continues to be a role model and leader in the later part of his career. I've been very impressed with J.J. Watt recently, especially this last Sunday. I have him at number two. Number one, you got to go with the guy who has seven rings, right? It's Tom. He's done the last 21 years. He's won Super Bowls, division titles. He's won, won, won. It's unbelievable. He's been extremely healthy, right? The, the TB12 method and pliability and the avocado ice cream. He treats his body and his, 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 uh, his craft so well. He's so focused on just winning. And that kind of example, backed up by his incredible, absolutely ridiculous resume, is such a leadership uh, model for his team. He goes to Tampa, right? They were a decent roster before him, eight and eight, nine and seven, winning some games, but you know, maybe underperforming. He goes to Tampa. They win the Super Bowl that last year. They're one of the best teams in the league this year. And I think a huge part of that is Brady's leadership. He's my number one leader. And my underrated guy, a guy who just missed the cut, I think this little wild card here, I'm going Tyron Matthew, Kansas City Chiefs. Look, to be a defensive player on Kansas City, you're, you're not part of a good group, right? But I am absolutely impressed with Matthew's energy, his, his, his excitement. He's clearly, I mean, you see him yelling at teammates on the sideline. He's holding his teammates accountable for not performing and hurting the team right now. He's backing it up. He's making some big plays on his end. That's what he's paid to do, make plays. He's bringing that energy, though, and, and trying to hold his other teammates accountable you know, uh, when he's not making those big plays, whether it's in-game or on the sideline. And I think that shows a lot of leadership, right? I think sometimes some guys, you know, hey, my, my team may stink, but I made an interception, so 
I did my job. It's the other guys that got to do their part. Well, he's not only doing his part, he's also trying to hold his other teammates accountable because I think he's smart enough to know that with their offense, it should be better than three and three, and it's the defense holding them back. And I think his willingness to, to openly and vocally continually uh, hold his teammates accountable on the defensive side of the ball is commendable and you know shows strong leadership on my part, on his part. Uh, so to recap my list, I've got Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo at number five. I've got Derek Carr at number four. I have Aaron Rodgers at number three, J.J. Watt at number two, Tom Brady at number one, and then my underrated leader is Tyron Matthew uh, from Kansas City. And you can't argue with that list. I think uh, we took two different approaches. You took more of the front house leader guys, the guy undeniable leaders of the team. On a little bit different route, I went the uh, – backroom sort of leaders guys you might not hear from a lot but big leaders on the team and <clears throat> my five spot I have Cam Jordan of the New Orleans Saints uh he's a big leader on that defense a uh, pretty outspoken guy uh he's his level of play is there uh he's always been a great player and he's always led by example. You know, he's a pretty he's a guy that you can look up to as a, you know, we talked about do they need to be a role model? I think he is a role model. I think he does all the right things. Uh but on that defense, everyone looks to Cam Jordan to make a big play. Everyone looks to Cam Jordan on the how hard they should work, where they should be going. I think he's a great player on that team. Number 4, I have Andrew Whitworth of the Los Angeles Rams. Big tone setter on that offensive line, offensive side of the ball in general. I think everyone looks up to him as uh, maybe they should take some keys from him. What is he when he speaks? People listen. He's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience. I mean, heck, he's in his almost in his forties. Um, he's able to set an example for those around them. Never really had too many issues. Uh, he's just a hard worker, a guy that does what he needs to do to get it going, and I think it's shown. They've showed a lot of improvement on the offensive line this year. I think uh, Matt Stafford in there. I think his leadership has helped propel them, and they're they're a contender for the playoffs now. Uh, number three, when I what have I said multiple times? Do your job, and that's what you have to do when you're on the New England Patriots. You have to do your job to the best of your ability, no matter what it is. You know who does that better than anyone else is Matthew Slater. He's been around for years with the Patriots, always around. He may not be a starter on offense or defense all the time, but he is an incredible special teams ace. Uh, and I think that's a key. Justice being a special teams ace doesn't mean you have a spot on that team. I think that the reason he hasn't been expendable through all these years is because of his incredible leadership abilities in the locker room, a good guy to keep around, and he's constantly, constantly voted a team captain year in, year out. Everybody looks up to Slater. He's been around this Patriots organization as long as I can remember, and they're a team that's not afraid to let somebody go. Um, number two, I, I took a look at home and thought, who is the best leader on the Ravens? People may have their opinions, but to me, it's very big, no-brainer. Calais Campbell is still a top-tier player, been in the league for so many years, and you can see uh, a defensive line unit that maybe hasn't traditionally been the focus of our defense, more strong linebackers, safety, DB core. 
uh, Calais Campbell came in and has elevated that room. Everybody on this team looks to Calais. They look to him to make the big plays during the game. They look to him after the games to pick him up if they lose, to cheer him on if they win. Everybody looks at Calais Campbell. He truly has been a great leader for this team. He's changed the culture of the defensive line room. He has absolutely shined as a captain. And I don't, Baltimore does it weird. Uh, for captains, they don't have the same captains. They pick them every week. There's new captains as who comes out. He consistently gets picked all the time. And I think just the complete culture change that he has made on this defensive unit really is a testament to his leadership ability. And finally, number one, if you can do it for one team, you should be able to do it for many teams. And what guy has changed the culture of many teams more than Ryan Fitzpatrick? Uh, He literally comes into every team, and he is the glue that holds these consistently bad teams together. When you look, he's always the guy talking at the podium every year. doesn't matter what team he's playing for. Always a guy at the podium. He's always in the quarterback room getting all these guys together, even though he knows that he's not going to be there for the long term. He's just the guy to get them to the next guy. And that's okay. He's okay with that because I think he, he knows his role. And he comes in, instant leader in the quarterback room, instant leader on the offense. He elevates, I feel like he is the one player that instantly comes in and will elevate especially a bad team up a few levels. He will get them playing to where they need to be. And that's where the term Fitzmagic comes from. Because when he comes in, his leadership ability and his intangibles come in. And he really can elevate a bad team to give them a couple magical games and get them through a tough season. Uh, And finally... My underrated guy, and he's only underrated because this year hasn't necessarily been his year, but uh, uh, another Green Bay guy, I think Mason Crosby is a guy that's been around for a while, he's consistently been a captain on that team, and he's been around since, what, 2007? I think people have to look up to him. Uh, throughout the years, he's been a great kicker. Uh, him and Aaron have been around that team the longer than anybody, and I think he's just a great leader on that team who... Everyone knows Aaron Rodgers, but right next to him, Mason Crosby's always there as a guy that Aaron looks up to, a guy that Aaron talks to consistently. He's the leader's leader. So that's my list. I got Cam Jordan at five, Andrew Whitworth at four, Matthew Slater at three, Clay's Campbell at two, Ryan Fitzpatrick at number one, and my underrated guy is Mason Crosby. Yeah, that's I really love a good uh, Fitzmagic uh, inclusion into a list. That's a that's a different take on it, right? Uh, but it is a form of leadership to be able to handle that transition in a locker room and to do it uh, professionally. Not make waves, you know, make sure everything goes smooth. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, do you want to move on to our, our, our uh, game of the week game picks? Uh, do you want to go first and then I'll, I'll take the uh, uh, go first on the second game? Sure. I will take uh, Tampa versus Chicago. Uh, I think that this is a pretty big game this week. Uh, divisional game. Uh, there, To be quite honest, there weren't a ton of games that jump off of you at the, off it, at the paper this week. Not a lot of crazy good games. Obviously, a lot of buys come in to play now, so there's less games to pick from. I think this game has the potential to be good, but it also has potential to be a blowout. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit closer because that Chicago defense... D 
defenses have really gotten Brady flustered lately. Good defensive play. I think uh, when he went to New England, solid pressure from Matthew Judon off the edge really helped keep that score down. Obviously, some motions and being back home helped as well. But the next game <clears throat> that he played, and let me double check. I think it was the Eagles they played last week. Yes, against the Eagles, 28-22. to Kept it close. Uh, strong defensive play from the Eagles. Really, I think that the Bears, and they have some pretty key pieces around their defensive unit, have the potential to fluster Brady enough to give themselves a chance. So uh, that's I'm going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here, but I do think that the Bears can have a chance to keep it close. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm taking the Bucs right there with you. I do think I, – I was thinking maybe the Bears would have a shot here because I think they've been playing better and they do have a good roster as Fields has continued to grow and develop. Um, I think the problem with the Bears is they rely so much on the running game offensively, and that's Tampa's strength is stopping the run. Tampa has those big uh, defensive tackles, and Dominican Sue and, and, and Vita Vade, I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, but they're phenomenal at stopping the run. You know, they held Dallas in check when Tampa played Dallas. They've held a bunch of other teams in check. I think that matchup right there uh, doesn't lend itself well for Chicago, although I do think Chicago's defense gives uh, Brady some fits. I see this kind of 23 to 10, 24 to 10, but I think uh, Chicago hangs around, but I think Tampa, Tampa makes too many plays and Chicago can't run the ball. So I, I agree with you there. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first on our, our second game, and that's uh, Kansas City at Tennessee. Look, both teams got wins uh, last week, much needed. I think Kansas City, you know, they, they they beat Washington, but they look bad for about three quarters doing it. Mahomes has been a turnover machine. I, I don't trust them right now. They're so inconsistent. Uh, they have defensive issues at, at so many levels, especially on the back end, but also in the front seven. They're 27th in stopping the run, Kansas City is. Tennessee is going to run the football in Kansas City. Ten Tennessee is going to throw the football in Kansas City. I think Tennessee is going to score a bunch of points. Look, I don't, I don't think uh, Tennessee's defense will do much against Kansas City offensively, so I think we're looking at a shootout here. But uh, Tennessee just won a shootout at home. I think they're up for another one at home, too. I think I'm going to pick Tennessee to keep their winning ways going. I think they beat Kansas City uh, at home again uh, this Sunday, and uh, I think Mahomes' turnovers will continue to plague them, and I think the running game of Tennessee wears down Kansas City. So I'm picking Tennessee here. I picked them for the exact same reason you did. Derrick Henry. I think if you go back and look at Kansas City's losses this year, uh, if we scroll up a little on, I have all the games pulled up here. Um, <clears throat> they played Washington. What was Washington's issue? Not a great run game. Uh, they played the Bills. High-powered offense. Pretty good running game with Singletary back there. Um, then they play the Eagles. They win that game. But the Eagles, again, don't have a great run game. They play, uh, let's see, I, I know they played Baltimore. Uh, and Baltimore has a great running game. Beat them there. They play the Browns. Very close. Browns have a great running game. We're able to keep it close. I think Derrick Henry is going to have a field day. I think I read he runs for 217 yards. He sets like a bunch of records for like, uh, fastest to a thousand yards in a game or something like that. I think he gets there. I think they run the ball and run it a lot and run it successfully. And I think that's why they win. 
Um, my game to watch this week. Lions versus the Rams. Two quarterbacks who have switched teams finally get to meet each other. I think it'll be a very interesting game to watch. I think it'll be interesting. I know uh, Campbell has come out and said that they're kind of disappointed in Goff's play. He needs to pick it up. You know, it's only so many times you can cry and say, our guys played hard, they played great. He's come out and made the call to action. Jared Goff, we got to play better. We got to play better, and you got to play better. It's not just you. It's the whole team around you, but we got to do better. And the Rams, Matt Stafford, coming back to town, obviously is a very high-powered team, uh, contender for the NFC right now, and they're going to meet each other, and there's going to be a lot of emotion on that field. Do I think the Lions can win? Absolutely not. Do I think that it might be an interesting game and there could be like a good half of football in there? I absolutely do. And like I said, there wasn't a ton of games on this week that really jumped off the paper at me. But uh, I picked that game just because I think it might be a little bit funner to watch than people might think. I got the Rams by a couple. But uh, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. Yeah, certainly an interesting storyline, Goff Stafford, the return there. You know, my, my game of the week is uh, I'm, I'm following my continued trend this season of trying to find some good upsets. And uh, as an underdog, very interesting. Uh, Taylor uh, say Heineke that one more time. Very streaky. Washington against Green Bay. Washington against Green Bay. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So I think Taylor Heineke has been very streaky this season. He's had good games and bad games. A little bit of an off game against Washington, against um, Kansas City last week. I think he plays much better against the Green Bay uh, defense. That's given up some uh, solid performances to opposing quarterbacks. Look, Jameis Winston had a good game against them. Joe Burrow had a lot of uh, good games against them. Even Jared Goff had a good uh, three quarters against this Green Bay defense. Like, I think Taylor Heineke and that Washington offense will be able to move the ball on Green Bay. And they, you know, Green Bay has played some close games, right? They've had some battles against Chicago. You know, they've had some battles against, you know, we talked about Detroit. You know, they just had some issues pulling away from teams in some of these games. They needed that, that wild kick catastrophe game to beat uh, Cincinnati the week before. You know, I think Washington feels a little like they let one slip away against Kansas City. You know, Green Bay is a pretty big favorite here. I, I think a lot of people are thinking Green Bay is going to continue rolling. You know, I kind of waiting for Chase Young and that defense to break out. I think they're going to want to make a statement. I, I, I think Taylor Heineke plays well, like I said. I think uh, Washington pulls the surprise upset and beats Green Bay here. That's an interesting take. Um, and so those are our game matchups of the week. You want to keep rolling right into our gut check segment? Let's check, check the gut. We've been doing pretty good so far. I'm currently 28 and 18. You are 30 and 16. Uh, we were tied seven and six going into Monday Night Football, uh, and that was the decider for us. I finished seven seven. You finished eight and six. Uh, big Titans upset. You picked out another gutsy upset. We're gonna go over all of our picks again once we hit hit them on this list. Uh, so starting off, Nick Browns versus Broncos. Who do you got? This one's tough. The Browns are so hurt. I, I, I think it's almost a battle of the, the medical lists. I'm, I think Denver wins. I also have picked the Broncos. I believe we both have picked the Titans to upset the Chiefs, if you want to call it an upset. Mm -hmm. You've picked the Washington football team 
to beat the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to have to stick with the Packers here. Uh, I'm not going to be as aggressive as you are, but I commend you, and this could be the difference maker. I can see where you're coming from. Next up, we have the Bengals versus the Ravens. Who do you have here? You know, this is tough. I, Baltimore's playing too well, though. I, I have to agree. Like I said, uh, I've seen them win too many miraculous games and beat too many really good teams. I'm not picking it against them until I don't think I can ever pick against them this season. So I'm just going to ride that train and keep it going. Um, up next, we have the Carolina Panthers versus the New York Giants. I think I know what you're going to say here. Yeah, the Panthers are reeling, but the Giants are so beat up and so bad. I think this is sort of redemption opportunity for Carolina. I'm going Panthers. Yeah, I got big Panthers game here. Doesn't matter who's playing. I think no matter what, uh, they're going to find a way to win over the New York Giants. Now a more interesting game. We've got the Atlanta Falcons versus the Miami Dolphins. Who do you have here? So Miami has fallen apart. They lost five straight games. I'm going Atlanta. I also have picked the Falcons. Even though they have struggled somewhat this season, uh, we saw the demise of Miami in London this year, uh, this past week. I, I don't, they just do not look like a good football team to me. Uh, speaking of good football teams, the Jets are not one, and we have the Jets versus the Patriots. I will say, we forgot to mention this, kudos, uh, Zach Wilson made huge improvement. Zero picks thrown last week. Zero picks thrown last week by Zach Wilson, so that's huge improvement. He may not have played last week, but still a clean game by him. Uh, who do you got in Jets versus Pats? So I think this is New England. New England's playing better. You know, played well against Dallas and Tampa, and they beat Houston the week before. I think uh, Jets are still going through growing pains. I think New England wins this game. Uh, I would have to agree with you here. Uh New England, tough loss to Dallas, took them to overtime. Dallas is somebody I consider to be a very good team. And the Jets, I think, are one of the worst teams in the NFL right now. And I think the Patriots uh, got to beat up on their younger brother in their division a little bit this time. So uh, let's go Patriots here. Another interesting game, Raiders versus Eagles. I think this is Vegas, right? I think Derek Carr showed me a lot with his performance. And, and I think that often... I think they're going to put all kind of points and yards up on Philly. I think Jalen Hurts and that uh, Philly team found a little lightning in the bottle last week to beat Carolina. I don't think they find it this week. I'm going Raiders. I'm going to have to go the opposite direction of here. I think Raiders had a little magic last week uh, with rallying behind a new coach. Anything that happened on that field, I don't think it would have gone away from the Raiders. I think they would have been able to overcome whatever they had to last week because they're trying to rally behind their new head coach let him know that they're there for him but i'm gonna pick the eagles the eagles have played a lot of teams very tough this year i know i rank them rather low in our worst of first but i think that they can upset some teams and i think the raiders are a team that is upsettable so we'll see how that one plays out uh next up we have the Lions versus the Rams. I believe we both have the Rams here. Yeah. Um, Bucks versus the Bears. We both have picked the Bucks. Texans yep. versus the Cardinals. And this is Arizona. They're playing too good. Houston's not very good at all. 
Yeah, I don't even know how you could pick anything else but the Cardinals here. Um, Another game that we have. This is a big one. This one has potential for upset. Niners versus the Colts. Who do you have you know, here? Garoppolo should play. If Garoppolo plays, which I think he will, I'm going Niners. I also have that caveat. If Garoppolo play, I'm going to go ahead and pick it because I'm assuming he's going to play. And if we lose, we lose. So be it. But it looks like Jimmy G will play. And I think that he, like you said, they can rally around him coming back uh, and bring out a big victory for the 49ers, much needed. So I, I've i seen the Colts. They can lose the ball game in tragic fashion. And I think the 49ers are the team to do it to them. And lastly, huge Monday night football game, Saints versus the Seahawks. Russell is still out. Who you got here? You know, Geno Smith has played well, but I think the Saints have uh, handled themselves really well. I think Jameis Winston will grow in that offense. I'm going New Orleans. I also have New Orleans. Even though, uh, by a miracle, and some weird call referee stuff going on, uh, the Seahawks were able to take the Steelers to overtime, and I don't necessarily think the Steelers are a very good team. <clears throat> like you said, the Saints have been, the Saints have beat some good teams this year. They've been, you know, so-so, not too bad of a team. I think the Saints keep it going against a Seahawks team who is down, and I think they can overcome a Geno Smith-led Seahawks. And that, my friend, is the last game that we have to pick this week. I know uh, you got a big weekend planned, big week planned, so to, excuse me. Uh, we won't keep you for too much longer. I'm glad that you could join us on your beautiful honeymoon in Miami. Um, to everyone at home, uh, if you stuck around this long, just make sure you can go find us at Saturday Morning Inspection on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify Podcasts. Give us a like, subscribe, you know, watch the videos, Give, leave us a comment of anything that you would like to see on any of these videos, and we'll be sure to respond to anything that you have to say. Um, go to our website, smishow.com, and I'll have links to everything. I have our latest videos, our newest takes on things. As well, you can check out our Twitter, smifootballshow, and uh, you can see us live tweet during some of the games. Uh, See, see our thoughts, see our jokes. We do a funny joke sometimes, so if you uh, give it a look, I assure you, you will not be disappointed. Nick, any last words? Oh, no, thanks. Uh, you know, big thanks to everybody who came out to the wedding, and big thanks to all those who continue to listen and follow and support us. You know, like, like my said, leave us a comment, leave us a like, leave us a subscribe. You know, big thanks to all our listeners, and can't wait for this weekend of football. Absolutely. All right, I'll see you next week. Nick.